Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Um, Let's go ahead and pray, and uh, then we're going to jump into the gospel according to Luke. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you that we can be here. I ask now that you would, Lord, guide and direct um, my words this morning as we look at this gospel that Luke has recorded for us. I pray, Lord, that you would um, keep my words focused on the truth. I pray the end result of the preaching today would be that you are lifted up and glorified. I pray these things now in Christ's name, amen. All right, so we're starting the gospel according to Luke, and uh, we're going to be preaching through this book of the Bible, which uh, I don't know if anybody has seen these yet. Um, I've got a few more left. Um, the church bought these. These are, uh, it's just the gospel of Luke, and on one side it's got a page of scripture, and the other side it's got a place to take notes. If you wanted one of these, we do have a few left. We only got 20 initially because we didn't know who would want, really want one or not, but uh, if you're one who likes to take notes, that's an interesting way to go about that. And so uh, if you wanted one, uh, did you want one? Oh, yeah. There we go. Now we have two left. Uh, but we can always order some more if anybody says, oh, I'd really like to have one of those. We can order some more of those. Oh, right there. I'm sorry. Gosh, maybe I should have just, uh, here you go. I got one left. Anybody want to claim it? Everybody's like, I don't want to be the one that claims the last of me. Okay. It's here. You can sneak it. Yeah, you can sneak it later. Um, but if we do run out, if somebody takes that last one, we can always order some more. Um, uh, my mom found those. I don't know, remember how you found those, but uh, she found those and we ordered them for the church. So a um, couple of introductory thoughts as I jump into Luke. Uh, something I need to talk about. I, I talk about every once in a while. Charity mentioned it earlier, expository preaching. Um, if you want to know something about me, Personally, this is one of my top, um, like when, when you go, Matt, what's, what's the most important things about church and preaching for you as a pastor? I would say this is right there at the top of that list is expository preaching. The word exposit means to expound or explain as the idea of demonstrating clearly. So expository preaching has become the title for someone who goes, I'm going to go look at this verse and my whole goal is to say, this is what this verse says right? This verse says this, and I want you to understand this is what this person said when he wrote this. This is what he was saying, and this is what you ought to hear. That's expository preaching, right? And uh, I like it personally because uh, it keeps me focused, number one, because I don't ever have to go, I, I, I worry about turning into a cliche preacher, okay? A cliche preacher is one that has several phrases that they use when they're preaching that, man, sounds good, gets a lot of amens, but it's it's just fluff, right? It's just fluff. And I, I'm not concerned in preaching Matt. I'm concerned in preaching God, okay? That's, this is the, the, the core central focus. In fact, I would, I would throw in there that I, I have my, my brain has a, it's kind of like a, a, your, your plate on Thanksgiving, right? My plate's never big enough on Thanksgiving, and so, you know, if you go through the Thanksgiving line, you put some of this on, you put some of this on, you put some of this on, eventually something starts to fall off the plate. Uh, okay, that's, that's my, my brain operates a little bit like that. And so I have, I have a short list of things that I can really go, man, this is, this is what I'm focusing on. This is like top priority. And there's a lot of things that fall off the list, 
okay? And since I'm bivocational, church and work, there's things on that list. And, and, and I'll tell you right now, the, the one thing that I've clung to, and I hope that God helps me con- to continue to cling to, is this, the preaching of the word. Okay, there's some things about church that I know a lot of people would love to have. I, my, my brain, I'm sorry, my brain just doesn't have the capacity to make sure all those things, you know, so if you're ever like, man, I wish church had this. Well, maybe you should do it then. Um, my, my, uh, I'm not opposed. I just, I don't have the brain capacity. Um, one of the reasons partially is based on um, uh, First Timoth- or 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Paul is talking to Timothy, a young pastor, and he says this. He says, they charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. That's, that's partially why I hold to this philosophy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And this is going to start to fold into why I'm talking about this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, uh, verse 5 says, uh, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I want to go back to this one for a moment. I don't want you to be confused and think that there's just one time in the, the timeline of history where people are going to um, not be able to endure sound teaching. I think this is something that happens regularly. I think you have a church that's doing really good, preaching the word, and there's a tendency for churches to start to do what? Slide, right? Slip a little bit. And part of that is because of what Paul says right here, because there is this tendency for people... For the time is coming, it was going to come for Timothy and his preaching. The time is coming for us and our preaching. And I think that we are in that time right now, culturally, that we do not hold. People do not hold the sound teaching, okay? There's a tendency for people to not hold to sound teaching. And so we have to, and Paul's prescription is to preach the word as a way to go against that. Let me give you an illustration because I think that we're, to put it bluntly, we're in it now. And by it, I think you know what I mean. We're in it. It's slipped. But I'd like to give you an illustration. Um, here we have a, a boat and a dock. Is that a dock or a pier? Dock? Okay. When I picture, now this illustration is born out of several years of imagining what it's like for many of us living in our world, okay? Let's say the dock represents, for just this illustration, let's say the dock represents solid, sound teaching, the, the truth of the word, of, but like real truth, like there's true things and there's false things, and this is truth, okay? So the dock represents truth, as God has revealed it, that's what's actually true. The boat, okay, is gonna represent, for the sake of illustration, the boat is gonna represent, and this is gonna be tough for some of you to, to wrap your minds around, but I want you to think carefully here. The boat represents not approval of the world, but I'm gonna call it appreciation by the world, okay? Or the respect 
of society. Okay, let me give you an example. Um, it, it, that that approval by the world for many people looks like this. It's like I, I'm going to hold to my Christian values, but I think that you, the greater society as a whole, ought to look at us and go, oh, "We can respect that, right?" In fact, we appreciate you guys. You Christians are doing good things for society. I believe that's true, by the way. One of my favorite topics in history is going back through history and seeing all of the things that are good throughout history, all the good changes that have come about, you can trace right back to the church and to Christians in society, right? Good things aren't happening apart from that. And I mean good things from things like people figuring out scientific realities and going, oh, we figured out how to create a... Uh, uh, this, this vaccine or how to make penicillin. A lot of those people were, were Christian scientists that were going, God's created this world. Let's see what we can find out about it. Helping the poor, all these sorts of things. You can find roots of it. In, in fact, our whole society is based on a Christian view, a Christian worldview. And so the good things that we see, now what's happened is as, as it's grown, we've tried to, we've gone into this secular um, can't think of the word I'm looking for, experiment. Okay, can we maintain these good without God? And we're starting to see that fall apart, okay? But now, as Christians, though, we go, well, I, I still think, you guys ought to recognize that we're good people. And, and, and th- things start to, to slip. And my, my picture, and this is where this illustration came from, because I, I don't know if you guys know who Jim Carrey is, but I, I picture in my head us looking like Jim Carrey sometimes with one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat, and we're going, oh, oh, oh yeah. You know, we're doing the splits at some point. Trying to maintain a solid hold on biblical truth, but still wanting, not, not, we don't care about the approval. A lot of you go, I don't care if the world approves me, but we still want the world to go, we appreciate what you do. And we're gonna respect what you do and leave you alone in what you're doing. Let me give you a few examples of what that looks like. Um, <clears throat> how about this one? Uh, I'm going to just say some biblical truths and, and how those have played out. So, for example, one of them, one of the biblical, I'm sorry, with a real basic one, going to church. That's a biblical thing you should do. There's no question about it. You should be a part of a church. No, 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 if ands or buts about it. There's no way around it. There's a lot of people that started going, yeah, but you know, there's, you can find truth about God, not, not just in the church. And they started pulling away and people were going, well, I can find God outside the church. And, and some of us as Christians were like, well, I guess technically that's true. And we maintained like we had, and we got people that are, that are they never go to church at this point. We're going, you know, we do and you don't, but that's okay. And so we're like, that's okay, non-church people. Um, you can still be completely right with God and never go to church. And our heads were going, that's not really what the Bible teaches, but you know, I, I don't want to uh, you know, offend them in some way. And I guess kind of it's true. And so we're stretching, stretching away, trying to keep one foot in. Let me give you another one. Um, disciplining children. There is a biblical way that we ought to discipline our children. The Bible teaches about it, <laughs> okay? 
and, and, and all kinds of other ways of, this is how you ought to discipline it. This is how you ought to discipline it. This is how, Dr. Spock was it way back in the, um, you know, this is how, this is, this is it, this is it. And there's some good things in there. And so we as Christians, we're able to go, yeah, that's kind of okay. And I guess if you really want to, and I know God says to do this, but I, I don't know if, I mean, that might work. And, and sometimes it does. And I'm getting another one. Um, the biblical teaching on divorce. You know what the Bible says about it. Well, but I just, but you, you know, I guess, and we can make it all good. Stay with us. Starts to stretch a little bit. In my lifetime, one of the ways society has changed is something that's become accepted by society is sex outside of marriage. There was a time way back where you, if that happened, you didn't even speak of it. That's not how it is anymore. And as Christians, the, my point here, though, is what do we do? We, you know, well, I know that maybe they, but you know, I guess, and maybe, and some, there's some Christians that they're full-on splits. <laughs> trying to continue, and I don't judge, because here, one of the thoughts in the middle of that is that they, we say, we're, Christians are loving people, and we don't want those people to think that we don't love them. And I'm telling you right now, it's getting real thin. I get it. I like to be loved, okay? So, understand. Now, I'm going to hit a couple more examples, but I want to throw out this idea that maybe, that, you, know what, you know what I think the thing that finally determines, because anybody that doesn't want to fall into the water, if you've ever had this, ha- I've had this happen, okay? You go, Whoa, it's, you know, like it wasn't tied up right or something. It starts to go. If you've ever been in that situation, at some point, that person will go, they'll either go on the dock or they'll go What? on the boat or fall in the water, right? But most people don't want to fall in the water. I mean, the falling in the water thing is only for the real idiots that just try to stretch it way out, you know, and then they fall in the water. But most smart people go, oh, this isn't going to work. I know the extent of my leg stretching and I need to choose something real quick. And I think that in reality, in this type of situation, you choose what you think is the best option for what's going on. So you might choose the boat because you go, well, somebody's got to be in the boat to get the boat back to shore, Right? That's obviously a good idea in the fishing situation, but this is where it falls down a little bit. But I would posit that, hey, as Christians, if this, following this illustration, as it starts to stretch, I've seen many take their foot off of one side or the other. And they pick a side. And that says a lot about where they were all the time. I think that we're getting, in fact, you might think I'm crazy, but I'm actually a little bit energized about the state of the world today. You guys might think I'm nuts, but I'm a little bit, I feel energized by it because what I'm finding is this, there's this prospect of more people being forced to choose. As the boat gets further away from the dock, more people are being forced to decide where I'm going to land. And that starts to make things very clear. And I like that. I I really like that. And I think it's good for the church. I think it's good for God's people 
to distinguish and to clarify. And a lot of us don't like that because you know what happens when it finally breaks apart and you can't stretch that stretch? What it looks like is this, the world hates us and maligns us. But Jesus said, if they hated me, they're gonna hate you, right? And we've had it pretty good. We've been able to keep that boat pretty close. And we haven't had to experience those things. But I see more and more issues coming up where it's like, you can't stretch that. You can't stretch that. Let me give you two examples that are huge today where you cannot stretch it. Um, and trust me, I am getting to Luke. There's a purpose in all this. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. This actually brings up a few. I put it on the side of the dock. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral. Now, don't hone in on one particular item on the list, please. They're all on the list. They're not listed in rank from worst to best or best to worst. No, these are on the list. This list of people who will not, people who practice such things is what it's going to say, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy. A lot of people like to stop on one of those and kind of skim past greedy. Nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now it goes on to say in the next verse, such were some of you. The church is composed of people who were like this. But the fact remains, you will not inherit the kingdom of God if this is how you live your life. It shows something. It, it, it reveals something about your heart. Homosexuality is a big one right now. Um, just the other day, the Pope, right, said, it's okay. There's all kinds of different denominations that have said, it's okay, and are ordaining as preachers and teachers of the word people who practice homosexuality. That's wrong. You know what they've done? They picked a side, didn't they? Oh, I'm going to stay on the boat. Because I want the world to know that we love these people. I, you think I don't love? This is big. You guys know I teach it, or I work at Danville High School. Every year that I've taught um, and been in the school system, more and more and more and more kids are openly, unashamedly declaring their homosexuality. And it's forcing Christians, I mean, I've got, there's, there's, there are people at Danville High School, teachers at Danville High School that um, claim to be Christians, but on their door they've put up the, the rainbow um, flag to say, you're, you're accepted and safe here. It's not that I, you see what happens there? And this is where the dilemma comes from me because I, I don't want any of those kids to ever think that I, I'm not a safe person to, to talk to. But your sin is not safe. That's the problem. And it's forcing many to, and I, I've seen some, I'm telling you, I've seen Christian people say, oh, 
I want them to know that they're loved. And they've abandoned, in the process, they've abandoned biblical truth. Another one, this one is big this year. Um, The Bible says, so God created man, humanity, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then it says this, male and female. Now, this is just one of many places that I could go to, but male and female, he created them. God made humanity in his image, and part of that glorious image included men, and it included women. And he gets to decide that. Just this year, at school, I've talked to multiple teachers that have had several students coming in as freshmen who are identifying as the other sex. Now, I don't want to go down this path too far because I don't want to get into, well, what do you do? Do I do this or do I do that? Do I call them he or she? Or I just usually say y'all. <laughs> Keeps me out of trouble. But I know teachers who have, as Christians, claiming to be, have let go of biblical truth. And understand, it's, it's in their mind, it's not for the sake of... They, somebody that goes this route, they don't see it as doing that. What they see it as, I want them to know... They're, they're holding on to the teachings of Jesus, talk about loving your neighbor, loving your enemy, loving all... You know, love, 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 we have to love. And that is true. But Christ never sacrifices God's truth. In fact, I would make a really strong argument that the most loving thing that I've done in my life is when I told my son, don't touch the hot stove, it will burn you. He really wanted to reach up there. And he said, don't you love me and let me do what I want? I do love you, and that's why I'm telling you not to be stupid. (laughs) Right? This is a a challenge, because I I don't want to be considered as someone who is hateful. It's not like I'm sitting there going, I can't wait till people hate me. I don't want that. I really don't like that. But we're finding ourselves pressed into a situation in our society where we are being forced to choose one or the other. I think that people decide, I mentioned this once, I mentioned it again, I think people decide, and this is where we get into the gospel according to Luke, I think people decide based on what they really, really believe is certain. What they really believe is certain, solid. The best for the situation, yes, but I think it goes deeper than that to what they think is going to be the more permanent of the two. Okay? Let me say that again. I think that people make that decision. When When it gets stretched out and they finally, I mean, any... Reasonable person. Finally, at one, some point, it's getting a little bit too far. For some of us, that happens real close. For some of us, it goes out a lot further. But when we finally make that decision, I'm going to the boat, going to the dock. The one that we choose is the one that we feel is the more 
certain. Like if I have to get stuck somewhere, that's where I want to be. The things that we are the most certain of, that we believe are the most lasting things is the route we choose. Now, before I jump into Luke, would you agree with that? Okay, I I think that that's the issue. This is why I'm super happy that I I chose Luke. Um, I didn't choose Luke because of this. It was actually the other way around. I chose Luke, and then I was thinking about these things, and I thought, I'm so glad I chose Luke as I started studying. Philip Ryken, one of the uh, commentators of Luke, says this. This is why Luke wrote the gospel. I love what he calls it, the gospel of knowing for sure. This is why Luke wrote the gospel of knowing for sure. He researched things carefully and wrote them down logically and accurately. Man, this is my kind of guy giving us the real history of Jesus. He knew that like faith itself, the assurance of faith comes by hearing the gospel. So like a good doctor, he wrote a book that would heal the doubting soul. This gospel is for anyone who needs to know Jesus. Now, let me pause there for a second. This is the reason why I copied this quote is because I want hopefully through Luke, for you to see that to go like this, you're going to see that the one who's here is Jesus. And you're not going to regret, no matter how this goes, you won't regret being on his side. And so I think Luke is hitting on this, I'm sorry, this commentator is hitting on something about Luke I think is so, I believe is so, so very important for the, the world that we live in because Maybe, maybe you don't feel that stretch, and maybe some of you are like, I don't care, okay? But some of you, I mean, it, it, you, you get the idea. You felt stretched on different issues. And to just take that foot off just seems like giving up on those that are over there, too. You don't want to do that. And I want to tell you that on this dock stands Jesus, and if you want to... Make that decision. I'm telling you, if you know him, you'll choose him. Luke's gospel is for anyone who needs to know Jesus. It is for people who have never met Jesus before and for people who need to meet him again, as if for the very first time. It is for people who aren't quite sure about Jesus, for people who are just starting to trust him, and for people who have known him for a long time but still need to become more secure in their faith. It is for anyone who wants to know for sure. Luke, the gospel of knowing for sure. All right, let's take a look at Luke now very quickly. I know that I went, that was a long introduction, wasn't it? We're all we're going to do from Luke today is the um, introduction of Luke that Luke writes himself. A couple of things about Luke. You already know, what was his occupation Doctor, right? He was a physician. In fact, he's called the beloved physician in Scripture. Um, He traveled with Paul. He is most likely a Gentile because Luke is a Gentile name. He may have been a Jew. That's possible. We just don't know. But he was most likely, because of his Greek name, he was most likely a Gentile. He may have been a Jewish proselyte, which means he was a, 
uh, born a Gentile, but he had adhered to the Jewish faith. We just don't know. We don't know that much about him as an individual. We do know that he traveled with Paul. Um, Luke is the longest of the four gospels. And uh, Luke is the only gospel that has a sequel. What's the sequel to the book of Luke? Acts. So who wrote Acts? Luke. And uh, Luke has some different things. In fact, uh, as you get near the end in his travels with Paul, he throws in a few of those times where he says, and we went to this place and we went to this place. And he's talking about those times where he was actually with Paul. Um, I think, and I'd have to double check, but I think Luke and Acts combined is the biggest chunk of the New Testament, like volume-wise. Um, there's more, obviously, Paul has a lot more individual letters, but they're so short, um, whereas Luke and Acts combined is the biggest chunk of New Testament scripture. Let's dig in to Luke's gospel and how he introduces it. He starts off like this, and I'm going to tell you right now, this whole, the first four verses are one long sentence in the Greek. And everybody that reads them and studies Greek, they all said the same thing. Luke has wonderful grammar, Greek grammar. And he's a learned guy, okay? And so the way he writes is the way someone that was trained to write would write in that time period. In fact, when they compare Luke's writing to other writings of this time period, it's like equal caliber. Luke is an excellent author. Um, But this first part is one big sentence. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Now, unfortunately, because I know a little bit about Luke, for some reason, when I read Luke now, in my head, I'm reading with a British accent. What does that mean? (laughs) He wasn't British. I don't know. I don't know where that came from. But in my head, when I started reading, after I started learning some things about Luke, I started reading it in my mind, and in my mind, I was going, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been... I'm like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with me? A couple things in this particular part. Many have undertaken. That many is interesting because he, he's, he is talking about there, there was a precedent for writing the history of Jesus. Other people have tried to do it. We know one gospel, we're pretty sure it was written before Luke wrote his, was the gospel according to Mark. And so it's quite, quite probable that Luke used Mark as one of his many sources. It says, how many sources did he have? Many. Many have undertaken to do this. And this does not have to be just verbal things. This could imply both verbal things that he heard from people because that was a very common way of transmitting history at that time period. This is what happened and getting, this is repeating the story to the next person and the next person very accurately. That was a common tradition for them. But there was also writings and he's alluding to possible writings, especially when it says, compile a narrative of things. So these other people that have done this, and in fact, historians, and this is one of the things I want you to capture is that Luke is a true Greek historian in his writing. Other histories, like when people are writing history books in this time period, would also start by establishing precedent. Others have done, they'll say, others have done this, and now I'm compiling it, Right? And so Luke, I mean, he just fits the mold of good history, a good history book. Like if there were scholars in that day, they said, what makes a good history book? Luke would fit all the parameters. And as much as many have undertaken to compile this narrative, he doesn't discredit previous works. Uh, There's most likely multiple things that he looked at, um, but he's gonna compile a narrative that where narrative means a story. 
Um, not in the sense of a made-up story, but a history to present a purpose. This is one of the things that as we go through Luke, I hope that you will capture. I think Luke may have been the first person. He never actually said this, but have you heard somebody say, history is really his story? That is Luke's purpose. As he is compiling the history of Jesus, He's telling the history, because that's why he goes on through Acts, because there's more of that history of Jesus in the world than just what happened there. He, he wanted to tell the whole thing. And it's going to become very clear as we go through that he picked specifically, as a good historian would, the specifics. He didn't just say, I'm going to write everything that Jesus did. He said, I'm going to pick the things that point to what he accomplished among us. Verse 2. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Um, so here he says, from the beginning is talking about from the beginning of this story. And that's why Luke starts just before Christ was born. There's elements of Jesus' story that are occurring before he was born. He starts there, that from the beginning. But there are eyewitnesses and ministers or eyewitnesses and servants, as some versions say. This is the only time that that combination of words is used in the New Testament. And it's the idea that these servants served Jesus' cause as eyewitnesses who preached the Jesus they saw. We know from studying Acts that there was a time where Luke spent a couple of years in Jerusalem, and we believe, uh, scholars believe that that was the time that Luke was most likely going around and doing things like, um, Mary, tell me about Jesus as a little boy. What important elements maybe that stuck out to you that pointed to the fact that he was the savior of the world. Maybe you went and talked to Martha. You went and talked to the other apostles, the disciples that followed him, other people who, I mean, I just wonder, I start to imagine that Luke's dedication to get as many eyewitness accounts as he can. I, I, will, I only imagine, I wonder if he found the, the blind man. I wonder if he found one of the lepers. Like, I was one of the lepers. You, hang on, my scroll. Tell me about it. This is what we ought to get as we're listening to the way Luke is writing. All the words in here talking about this is, was his goal. Verse three, it seemed good to me also. Having followed all things closely, there's another historian, Josephus. Some of you have heard the name Josephus. Josephus was the other history written during this time that is widely accepted. In fact, the, the works of Josephus were like school book required reading in school for hundreds of years. It's not any longer. But for hundreds of years, Josephus was part of the curriculum for people learning history. Josephus says a very similar statement as this, having followed all things closely, that following things closely carries with it the idea of to find its meaning and purpose. I'm fo he's following like the, to dig in what's the story behind the story. That is Luke's goal. He wants to write an orderly, uh, orderly account. You'll see that Luke has most of his uh, story is in chronological order. This happened and this happened. But he has a few things rearranged because he has a bigger picture involved, right? A bigger picture mind. So sometimes he skips ahead. He tells this part here because it relates to this. And, but then when he's over here, he tells something that happened back there in conjunction with these stories because he's trying to, I mean, that's how I tell stories sometimes. If I'm trying to convey a purpose, what really happened? What was this event really about? If I just told you this event here, you'd be like, what did that have to do with? No, that had something to do with this thing over here. And that's what Luke does. You'll see a geographic, like he'll, first part of his, the, the book is all 
in this location of Israel, and then one part of it's in this location of Israel, and this part of Jesus's ministry specifically, and then the next chunk is all this part where he's in this place, and he's doing this part of his ministry, and then this part is all about, right, as he's getting to the end of his ministry in the final days and the rejection, it's all about the rejection of Christ. He says, it seems good to me to, to do this, and then he mentions this person, most excellent, Theophilus. You guys want to know who Theophilus is? I don't know. <laughs> um, we don't know who Theophilus is. Uh, there's some thought that he may, this may be a code name for the church because Theophilus means a beloved of God. So some people have thought that. Some people have thought that um, Luke was writing Luke and Acts to be a defense for Paul as he was sent to Rome. And so the, he, they think Theophilus may have been uh, with the title, Most Excellent Theophilus, may have been like a, a Roman lawyer um, that this was going to be what was presented to the Caesar in defense of Paul and this religion. I don't think either one of those things are true. Um, they're possible. I have no idea. Um, I do believe that Theophilus is a real person because of the way he is mentioned here. Um, Josephus, the other historian I mentioned, he, he many times in his works will dedicate a portion of his history to somebody in the same phrasing. And it was many times somebody who was funding the work. So I think my theory is that Theophilus was funding Luke's study of history. So Luke didn't have to worry about getting another job. He was being funded by this Theophilus to compile these things, a benefactor, so to speak, to support the ministry that Luke was undertaking. I want to say, I'm going to share three quotes about Luke before I move on to the last verse. First one is from C.S. Lewis. You guys know who C.S. Lewis is? Um, C.S. Lewis, in addition to most of you just know, oh, Chronicles Narnia, right? Uh, in addition to that, he was actually a, uh, a professor at a university. Um, oh, I think I had this out of order. Oh, here it is. Uh, all I am in private life, C.S. Lewis wrote, all I am in private life is a literary critic and historian. Now, he's talking about all four gospels together, and then I'll share a couple that have to do with Luke specifically. Literary critic and historian, that's my job. And I'm prepared to say on that basis, if anyone thinks the gospels are either legend or novels, then that person is simply showing incompetence as a literary critic. I've read a great many novels and I know a fair amount about the legends that grew up among early people. And I know perfectly well the gospels are not that kind of stuff. Philip Ryken, another commentator, he, and I, I forgot to get the name of the historian that he's quoting. It was in there, I just forgot to write it down. Um, one historian, this is a secular historian, says, uh, wherever modern scholarship has been able to check up on the accuracy of Luke's work. Okay, now what that means is say Luke said this thing happened here, or, this guy was the governor, or this thing was going on, because Luke throws in a lot of extra facts, as somebody would do that's trying to write a history. Luke throws these things in. And every single time this historian says, wherever modern scholarship has been able to check up on the accuracy of Luke's work, the judgment has been unanimous. He is one of the finest and ablest historians in the ancient world. You didn't know that about Luke, did you? I just thought he was a gospel writer. No, he's a really good historian. So when you're reading Luke, you, you, you can trust some elements of it apart from what Christians say about it. He's a good historian. In the famous words of uh, and the famous words of the famous archaeologist, William, William Ramsey. He's a famous archaeologist. He says, like, uh, Luke is a historian of the first rank. I think I put like. That's supposed to be Luke. 
Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, he is possessed of the true historic sense. He seizes the important and critical events and shows their true nature at greater length. While he touches lightly or omits entirely much that was valueless for his purpose, right, as he's trying to convey something, in short, this author should be placed among the very greatest of historians. Now, why am I mentioning these things? Because as you stretch, right, that dock is pulling away and you're like, but what about, and what about? And, and I'm up here week after week saying, stand on biblical truth, stand on this truth and hold to this truth. Even if you had to let go of this, stand on this truth. I want you to know, and I think Luke wants you to know, that the, if you choose this route, you have chosen what is certain, what is believable, what is true. That boat is not seaworthy. All you have to do is be a, a slight study of history to realize that changes. What's accepted today isn't tomorrow. It fluctuates, it moves. It's not secure, it's not solid, and it will sink. And those who have decided to go that route are gonna sink with it. And each week as we study Luke, I'm gonna be encouraging you through Luke to hold on to biblical truth, that you're not crazy to do that. The world, as you step away from the boat, what's the world gonna say? You're nuts, or you're outdated, or seriously, you're intolerant. Don't be a hater, right? You're gonna get all kinds of malignment, much of which is untrue. But I want you to be sure that you can stand on the rock-solid truth, which is what Luke says next in verse four, that you may have, here's his purpose, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. That is what I want for you. That is what Luke wants for you when he did this work, when he delved into this study of the history, the real history of Jesus that he'd been following to find out what it's all about for quite some time. And then, then he did the work of the, the, the legwork and the footwork of trying to get the, the details as close as possible to what the actual truth was. And then I'm telling you why, I don't want you to let any of that stuff confuse you to think, well, then is it really the word of God? In fact, God always uses the, a, a person's personality and their style and their, their temperament and their work and their efforts. He always uses that to accomplish his greater purpose of this being the word of God. Certainty. It's a word that means solid, sure. In the New American Standard Version, it translates um, certainty as exact truth. I want to read through Philip Ryken's quote one more time from earlier. This is why Luke wrote the Gospel of Knowing for Sure. The Gospel of Knowing for Sure. Luke's gospel is for anyone who needs to know Jesus. It's for people who have never met Jesus before, for people who need to meet him again as if for the very first time. 
is for people who aren't quite sure about Jesus, for people who are just starting to trust in him, and for people who have known him for a long time but still need to become more secure in their faith. It is for anyone who wants to know for sure. And as that boat stretches further from the dock, some of you are going to be forced to make that decision. You know, add another element of where this gets really, really difficult. For many of you, you heard the illustration, but when it comes to regular everyday life, for some of you, on that boat, it's not random. It's your niece or grandchild who's, who's come out. And you love them. Your heart breaks for them. I'm going to tell you something right now, not to stretch my illustration, but you will not get the boat back by trying to keep one foot on it and one foot here. It's personal. And you're looking at that and you're going, when you finally had to say, and it feels deep. And I see by some of you nodding your heads, you have experienced exactly that. And you wonder, did I make the right decision? Because I love them so very much. With all my heart, I love them. And you go, did it, is this the right thing? Am I doing this the right way? The only way that you will be able to stand on this is when you are certain that this is the truth of God that he has revealed to you. Whether it's a family member or, I mean, there's so many. In fact, I don't want to go down this road because I know some of you already have a face in your heads that your heart has broken for. And you're looking out, you're going. I mean, you, if you thought it would work, you'd jump in the water and swim over and pull the boat back. Does that work? Does abandoning God's truth ever work? The moment you step off, you've abandoned his truth. Um. Reichen, one more quote from him. I'm, I promise I won't do a bunch of Reichen quotes every week, but he was very good this week. He says, a Christian is someone who believes that Jesus is who he said he is and, that, and, and what the Bible says he did. But if Luke didn't have his facts straight on the governor, govern, governorship of Syria, how can we trust his testimony about miracles like the virgin birth or the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? See, this is where this becomes very important. If Luke was, if all of his facts were off, it'd be tough, to, more difficult to believe the other things he's saying. But as we go through this teaching, as we get to those specific facts and we go, man, this is really what happened. I hope that that will help you to be more secure in your stance on the dock. Our entire salvation depends on the things that Jesus accomplished in human history. Our entire salvation depends on the things that Jesus actually accomplished in human history. Your salvation depends. Did he actually do that? Was he really born of a virgin? Did he really die? 
Did he really go into a tomb? Did he really raise from the dead? If those things didn't really happen, this is a waste of time. But if those things did really happen, that changes everything. Four things to do as we start this study of Luke. Number one, be faithful to church. As much as is humanly possible, be faithful to church. I don't, how do I say this? Remember my, how many things I got on my plate up here? One of the things on my plate is not, is not um, the ins and outs of what people do to grow churches, okay? Like thinking about um, advertising and outreach programs, I, I don't have the brain capacity to do that, okay? I can't. I'm gonna come here every week. My dedication, the one thing I can promise you is that I am going to be preaching the word. I ask for your prayer on that regard, that it's never me and always the word. But be faithful to be here. Trust God's prescribed method of hearing and learning the truth. Pray that God would use, start praying, God, would you use this? Number two, be faithful to study. I was encouraged this morning, there's a few of you that have already, when you found out I was uh, studying Luke, you already read the first part of Luke. That that made me so happy. Because that means that you you get it. You get it. This is together. Now, you're you're trusting that God's gonna give me the wisdom to know what to say, but but I'm telling you, over the years of doing this, there's been things that I have learned from you guys as I was studying, but you found something, you said, did you know that? Uh, Mrs. Dillon shared one with me this morning. I'm like, I did not know that about Luke. This, we're in this study together. Be faithful to study. Number three, invite others. If it's true that this is what the gospel of Luke is about, this is a perfect opportunity to dig into inviting other people and saying, hey, I know you've been kind of interested about church. You've been you know what? And I want you to think about inviting those people that are out there, right? Say, you should come. Bring your questions too. Like if you're like, man, but I think that this is why this, this, um, I'm standing firmly on the dock and I'm ready. And if you feel weak in knowing how to answer, that's one way that I would love to help in that situation. You're like, I know, I know, but I don't know how to explain and um, bring them to church. Invite them on a journey of discovery with Luke the historian. One of the greatest historians that we know of is Luke. Um, my wife uh, had these made up, says, need a church buddy? It didn't say church body, it's church buddy. Need a church buddy? Join me at Edgewood Church and it's got... Um, Actually, has your phone number on there. Um, but then on the back, it says, my name, phone number is. So you meet somebody like, I want to invite you to church. Say, you know, I want to, in fact, if you want, I will, I will pick you up and bring you if you need me to. Here's my number. If you're going to come and you don't need a ride, I'll meet you at the door. 
Because you know, some people they go, they're like, I guess, but then they, I, we've seen people before pull into the parking lot, eyes like this, <laughs> looking, looking at the church like, I don't know, and pull right back out. It's, it, for, for those of you that were out of church for a while, coming back, it feels scary, doesn't it? We're such nice people, I don't know why. <laughs> um, but you can tell, I'll, I'll meet you at the door. I'll meet you in the parking lot if you need me to. You just let me, let me know. Here's my number. Write it on the back. And invite them. And tell them. Tell them, hey, we're studying, we're, we're starting to study, we're studying the gospel according to Luke. Luke was this historian. Um, and his, did you know that his works have been, every person that's tried to evaluate his work, modern scholars that try to evaluate his work and try to find did he mess up somewhere on the facts, he's always proven right. There, there were facts that Luke had that people were like, no, that's not right. This wasn't the governor of that place or this wasn't what was going on then that they later were like, oh, we were wrong. <laughs> Am I boring you? <laughs> Cricket's chirping in here. All right, I'll get to the last point. Um, uh, you guys can't concentrate now, can you? Um, I'll just give you the last one here. Evaluate your footing. Evaluate your footing. Um, that illustration I gave is a description of how I have felt. It's also a description of how I, I think other people have felt. And I don't criticize those who are stretching. I don't think it's right. I don't criticize because I know the motivation for many of us is genuine, deep love and concern for those that are out there. I get that. And it's a difficult because you know that no matter how good your intentions are, the moment you take your foot off that boat and plant your feet firmly in Christ, somebody's going to go, you hate me. And you don't want that. You don't want that. And so you've struggled. But evaluate your footing. Consider where your feet are firmly planted. I think some of you may realize that the opposite of that has happened and you've actually taken your foot off of this and you've planted them over here and abandoned God's truth. And once again, I don't criticize because I think that what happened was you felt like this was the more solid place to be. But I wanna tell you, you're wrong. God's word has stood the test of time. 2,000 years this gospel has been around and is held up to be true, Un changing, unflinching, not driven around by the waves of what society is saying. Solid. And some of you need to not just stick your hand. Some of you are like, can I just swim it back over? Some of you need to jump off the boat and swim for shore. But Jesus, pull me back. Pull me back in. I'm going to go ahead and pray, but I want you to keep these four things in mind this week. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for this day. I thank you for, Lord, I want to thank you for Luke. Lord, the work that you must have done in him and the, the guidance and the, the, the work of the Spirit in his heart to be burdened to, to accomplish this task that he, that he at some point in his life was, I need to do this. And Lord, I thank you that you have preserved it by your grace, God, that you preserved this work. I thank you that it's stood the test of time. Lord, I thank you that I can, I can look at your word, and specifically right now, as we look at Luke, we can rest assured of its truth. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us. I pray for those that we might invite over the next weeks and months. We might say, well, just come check us out. Come and taste and see. See what this really is. Not what you think it is. Just come check, it, check us out. Lord, I pray that you would give all of us the wisdom to know how to present you and or from the preaching that's done to the, the conversations that happen here at the church to the conversations that happen uh, at each person's individual workplace or in their home or uh, on the street or on their way to Champaign or, Lord, wherever they're at. As we present truth, God, give us, give us wisdom. Grant us wisdom as we study and delve into these things. Help us to become more solid and, and sure in our faith. I pray all these things now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would accomplish them. Amen.